1: My name is Brian Hunter and I'm the senior film programmer for the Cenotopia international film festival.
0: So Cenotopia 2016, how many years have you guys been doing the festival now?
1: Uh, this is our fifth year, uh, our third year sort of legitimately in Detroit.
0: Every year you're changing, evolving just a little bit more. What kind of new things, uh, does the festival have to offer this year?
1: I think if you look at our venues, we, we usually have a symposium and this year, unfortunately the symposium, uh, is it happening? So we looked around and we thought to ourselves, "What's like a good way to uh, sort of fill that void and have this sort of uh, intellectual side to the festival?" And so I think that's this year it's Leonard Malton and all this Disney stuff that we have. Screens of Fantasia, and screens of Lady and the Tramp, and shorts and Bambi. So I think that I think that's like that's the stuff about Zenitopia that I'm excited about right now.
0: Very cool. And so yeah, Leonard Malton coming into into town, huh? Yeah, he's actually a friend of ours through the Art House
1: Convergence, which is a, uh, a program that runs out of the Michigan Theater that meets at Sundance every year for a few days before the festival starts and just a bunch of art houses. And he came a few years ago after that. And so we asked him to come to Michigan and he accepted very quickly.
0: I know that in years past, you've really tried to team up with some of the other organizations that are, are happening around town. Are you still doing that this year? Are you doing like outreach to the uh, Arab American Museum, those kind of things?
1: Yeah, we have uh, we have our screenings in the Arab Film Festival at the Arab American Museum again this year, um, screening films like As I Open My Eyes, which uh, one of my colleagues, Gary Meyer, who... Was working at the festival with us, saw it at San Francisco, and just raved about it about the Arab Spring. You know, we also, you know, and we've expanded a little more in Dearborn too because we're using the Henry Ford Museum and their giant screen experience. But yeah, it's them. We're working with the Day Center in Detroit to do a screening of the uh, Sundance uh, film, The Hits, and so we're pretty excited for that. And you know, just lots of stuff, lots of stuff, lots of new partners, lots of old partners. Uh, Cinema Detroit at their new location, our friends at the DFT. We're really feeling the love in Southeast Michigan right now. That We got that Metro Times Film Festival thing, which is a. It feels good to be recognized, but it also feels good that we're getting into those communities and being
0: rece- received well. Now, I know that Cinetopia is kind of a best of the festivals. You know, you guys go out and you. Go to all these festivals. You just talked about one. What were some of the festivals that you hit up over the last year to kind of scour the the festival scene and find some of these gems?
1: I went to Toronto, and I'm proud to say I eat poutine uh, multiple times a day in theater. I'm not a big popcorn guy, so when I went to the theater to have poutine as an option instead of popcorn was fantastic. Uh, I went to Sundance this year you know, Cinetopia as a whole went to Berlin. It went to South by Southwest. It went to slam bands, It went to Cleveland. We've said this now, if this is our fifth year of the festival, we've said this for five years, like we really believe in a model like the Cleveland Film Festival. We think that's the sort of festival that uh, Metro Detroit and Southeast Michigan uh, could support, which is this big, incredibly dense film festival. That's sort of a best of the fast scene festival. So we went out, you know, it's, it's funny. We, The more festivals you go to, the more you realize like how many films you really like and how many films you just can't get access to. Things that you see, things that people rave about to you, things that you're really, really into that may never even find distribution in America, let alone find the right, find the distributor that's happy to let you play it in your festival. It's an interesting dynamic. The one thing about festivals that I learned this year was like Toronto is such a, a really, really, really big and heavy festival, a lot bigger than I anticipated it being. So I try to plan my days really well when I go to Sundance and know what I'm seeing and be as prepared as possible for things. But at Toronto, I feel like I was too prepared and I missed out on a lot of really great stuff. That's my big takeaway from the film festival world this year. I was over-prepared for Toronto.
0: How does one over-prepare for Toronto? Toronto.
1: I'm not much of a traveler. No, I, you know, it's funny. I I looked at the program a little too much, I think.
0: And I feel like I made
1: decisions. You know, there is that sort of excitement about going to a festival. This is something we say to people. And one of the reasons we think it's important to buy a pass is that it's about the experience. It's about, you know, trying on some things you might not like, trying on some stuff, taking a chance on something. And I think that I just got a little too into the stuff I was seeing and missed out on seeing some stuff that, I later discovered, I got screeners of, I saw, I, that would have been a different experience having seen it in a theater with a bunch of people, as opposed to on a
0: computer screen somewhere. Oh, yeah. It's such a different experience. Yeah. It's funny, because it
1: was stuff I saw in a theater with a bunch of people, in some instances, though, where I saw watched a screener of it, you know, months later, and I found it to be a
0: better experience.
1: So it, 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 I, I guess it's like a picture your poison thing, but...
0: So what were some of the ones that you saw that you're so excited to get in front of other people here at the festival?
1: Closet Monster. Closet Monster is one of my favorite films in the festival. Drew Waller, who's our, um, one of the guys responsible for helping us bring a lot of filmmakers into town, keeps saying that it's the best young adult novel that you've never read. Connor Jessup plays a, a kid who's uh, on the verge of coming out and doesn't know, quite know understand or, can't quite get to that moment, how to deal with it and talk about it. And it has this overwhelming Cronenberg body horror vibe to it. It has Isabella Rossellini as a hamster, uh, a voicing a hamster. It's this incredibly strange, but wonderfully like thought provoking movie. I think it I think a lot of people when they see a film like me and Earl, the dying girl, which is kind of weird and kind of safe, forget that like young adult, uh, Novels and young adult films can operate at like a different, more serious, more intense level. I think that's what Closet Monster is. Uh, my favorite film Toronto from Toronto this year, actually, though, was Presenting Princess Shaw. I saw it, and I loved it. I think I saw it twice at Toronto. I liked it so much. It is easily one of the most uplifting films, one of the most feel-good films in the festival. I can't say enough good about it. It's about how we're all connected in the digital age and us. Samantha Montgomery is this uh, young woman who has a YouTube channel that maybe has something like 35 or 40 followers. And it's it's a very confessional thing, this very journal-centric thing. But she's also a singer. I must admit I'm not a singer. My wife is a singer, so I'm sure that someone could say, you know, she's not that good of a singer. She's the best singer I've ever heard in my life. Mind-blowingly good. Just really, really interesting, but no way of getting out there. Uh, in the film, you follow her to an open mic night, or and there's maybe an audience of six people where other people would give up. Give up she like perseveres. But unbeknownst to her, one of her secret admirers is an Israeli composer named Koitman. He uses one of her a cappella freestyles in this composition that he makes of YouTube. I'm a really good bass player, and here's me playing my bass, and here's I'm a really good drummer, and here's an improv drum, and he makes it into the symphony, and he uses her as the vocal track. It's just so good. It's just so uplifting. Everybody in it is, you just feel better after seeing it. So that's a film that I'm really excited to to bring in. Um, Norman Lear, Just Another Version of You, is a film that we saw at Sundance that we're really excited to bring in directed by Heidi Ewing who did the tropia Jesus camp, you know, it's about Norman Lear. What else, what else is there to say? He's an interesting fellow. He has a, a lot of really thought provoking ideas. And I actually really into the second part of that title, that just another version of you. I have a two year old. And I've started to use that expression. When we talk about other people that we see in the world. <laughs> Mama is a film that I really like with Penelope Cruz, but, um, drama, The new Werner Herzog film, Lo and Behold, is something that I think is incredibly exciting. And I think it's going to be one that a lot of people may struggle with. And that's, again, another great reason to have a pass is that if you hate it, you can walk out of it and go see something else. But, yeah, I think Lo and Behold uh, is a really fascinating look at the way the Internet has permeated our lives and its history and its future and its now um, and the way that it will impact us. You know how there's two sides to every coin. It's like the world's greatest invention, and it's just so much trouble, which is an understatement to say the least. Those are uh, a few things. Those are a few things I like. You know, there's a few small films. Last summer was a film we saw at Slam Band about a woman on a on a, a yacht spending her last few days with her son before being separated him from him by a divorce. Landfill Harmonic, a documentary about. This recycled orchestra in Paraguay, Johnny Toe's office in 3D. There's a lot we have a few musicals this year, which is kind of fun, which is Johnny Toe's office, uh, which is a 3D office-centric Chinese culture musical. I'm do- not going to do it any justice. It's in 3D. And then the lure, which is the best It's Poland's first musical, and it's the best mermaid vampire
0: disco pop musical you've ever seen. I have seen previews for the lore for a few months now, and I am so excited to finally be able to see that one.
1: That thing is a brain-burner. Somebody had seen it at Sundance. I missed it at Sundance. Somebody I know had seen it, and it was just like, oh, I have no idea. I don't know what to make of it. So when someone says that to me, I'm usually like, oh, it's probably like not very good, or not that interesting, and I got the screener of it. I think I got it like at like 10 o'clock in the morning on like a Tuesday. I was like, I'm just going to pop this in and take a little look at it. And it is so wild. It is, I've never seen anything like it. The music is so killer. There's all these like sort of nods. I, I wrote the description for it. And there's all these like sort of stylistic nods to uh, Fossbender in it that I think it makes it really interesting from like a film history perspective but the music alone is what sells it plus it's a pretty killer story so
0: literally pretty killer story Lit-
1: literally pretty killer
0: figuratively pretty killer Killer all the way around, all all killer no filler. Yeah, I haven't like run the numbers and done a pie chart or anything, but yeah, I was very surprised to see the musicals. But I was seeing that there's a lot of documentaries and a lot of great looking documentaries. You mentioned presenting Princess Shaw, but it seems like there's just a, a, a real wealth of great docs at the festival this year. I love documentaries. It's like my like
1: thing in the festival. And the thing that I wrestle with is, like, it's the idea of perspective. The documentary is just one side of a truth, right? I mean, that's like, that's the conceit of a documentary that somebody could have a counterpoint to it in most cases. I felt in previous years, I feel like people love documentaries and relate to documentaries so much easier than international narrative films, although they're good. Detroit's like a very, like, real workable place. And Ann Arbor is a really, you know, with because of the student population, it's just like, real workable place. And I think documentaries uh, in the festival help us explore that a little bit more. I think it's interesting to have documentaries on music like Contemporary Color and Presenting Princess Shaw, right along documentaries, um, mm-hmm. technology. It's one of the things I admire about a festival like South by Southwest that can just sort of, like, line up all these things and connect all these dots. I was really happy when the Free the free Press wrote an article. And one of, I think it was the Free Press, and one of the first things they talked about was the amount of documentaries. And I just think people relate. It sounds so stupid, but I just think people relate to documentaries better. I think there's something about the real world, and not in that, you know, a few years ago we showed that Queen of Versailles documentary. I hope these people don't sue me. There's something, you know, really honest about that documentary, but there's also something that's like Bravo ready. Give them the reality show. That's just the pilot. It's the backdoor pilot of some reality show. With, with the documentaries this year, I feel like they're really like lots of human stories. You know, I mentioned Contemporary Color, which is this intersection between music and dance and art. It's it's just really fascinating. There's a lot. I think I think this has been like a kind of a a banner year for documentaries. I know I saw a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff that didn't make the festival that I was way into, a lot of stuff that just hasn't gotten distribution yet that I was way into a lots of stuff that, you know, you just, you can't get for, for market reasons or distribution reasons, lots of stuff like that. Like a film like life animated that I would love to have in the festival alongside all of our Disney films, but I wasn't able to get, but I, I just think it's a good year for documentaries too. And I'm pleased that people are, are picking up on the, the amount of
0: documentaries. I think that
1: it, we don't, we don't want to have all documentaries, but I it's, it's
0: fun to have a lot of really good documentaries. Yeah, I'm really excited to see Suited.
1: Oh, Suited is killer. Suited is so good. My boss, Ruth, its like her favorite movie in the festival. She won't shut up about it. I saw Suited at Sundance, and I thought it was just so interesting. So, so deep, so personal. It's a thing that obviously I would never think of. I would never be put in that position. And you don't it's so silly that when, when someone says like the clothes make the person, it's such it's a silly, like throwaway expression, but it's totally true. And to see these people. So if, for your listeners who don't know what suited is about, uh, it's about Bindle and keep, which is a tailor shop in Brooklyn, New York that goes beyond traditional suit making. And it makes suits for people of the LGBTQ trans world. And it's, this documentary about how these clothes sort of change the way these people look at themselves. And it's so personal. It's so interesting just to see like something as simple as like a, a well fitting suit, how that can just like improve everything about the situation that you're in, in that moment. And it's not just, and it's the other thing that I thought was really fascinating. It's it's not 20 year olds. It's, You forget about the 14-year-old who's going to go get their bar mitzvah. And you forget about the 65-year-old who just wants something nice to wear out. And so we're really excited to have Ray uh, Tatera, one of the owners of Bindle and Keep, coming out to the festival. It's going to be on HBO later this summer. So to to bring something that's not going to get a theatrical or a limited theatrical screenings to the festival, and a film that's really powerful and really emotional, I think is a great win. A great win for the festival. I, I think everybody should see suited. We're we're highlighting it on the Thursday, June 9th at the Michigan Theaters. Part of the are not really calling it opening night in Ann Arbor anymore. It's uh it's it's a it's a just a fun time, a fun Thursday. But it's also one of our opening night films in Detroit too, at Soba Detroit, so
0: yeah, I was kind of surprised. I can't remember if last year you guys ran as long as you did, but it's so nice that you're over two weekends plus a whole week in between.
1: You know, it's funny. It, I think it was the symposium. I think not having the symposium sort of made us think a little differently about the festival. Because the symposium takes up three days usually. It takes up that Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And I think that's why it's easy for us to sort of treat ourselves as as Even though we're one festival, we are a festival for Southeast Michigan, it's easy to forget that when you have this sort of three-day break where you're focusing on an Orson Welles or you're focusing on a John Sayles or you're focusing on a Robert Altman, and then you sort of get to have that big kickoff in Ann Arbor again. And not having that symposium, you you don't want to run five films a day at nine venues in Detroit on a Wednesday. No one's going to come to a one o'clock movie, but we'll see what happens. There's a lot of cool stuff. I mean, Samantha Montgomery from presenting princess Shaw is going to be in Ann Arbor on that Wednesday, which will also have the Michael Jackson sing along at campus. Martius that same night. So just to have these sort of few like pop-up events on those three days, I think it's just an, just a different vibe for the festival. We'll see what happens. I think, I think it does make it feel like a big longer festival though.
0: Yeah, and I'm excited to be able to, you know, maybe head out to Ann Arbor one weekend and head down to Detroit the next weekend, or vice versa. It's nice that I don't have to keep bouncing back and forth over, you know, just a, a day long period of time. It's really nice to have that that choice and to have those two weekends there for me.
1: Yeah, you know, that was like the thing. I think the first year we did it where we did it in Detroit and Ann Arbor at the same time. For the consumer, I think it's too much. For the the patron, I think it's a little too much. Because like you said, you have, you know, if you want to see something in Detroit and you want then want to see something in Ann Arbor, you got to take into account driving and then then you miss out on people. And it's also a pain in the butt for us too because then we're moving prints around from Detroit to Ann Arbor and trying to stretch our staff. You know, we're not a big staff to begin with. So um, we're trying to stretch our staff out amongst these two places. It's just you. do. Do them do them over two weekends, but I think that, that that bridge area again. I think that's an interesting place for us, and how can we expand on that?
0: I think will be an interesting thing that we talk about going forward. Now you mentioned some of the people that are coming into town for the festival. Who else are you excited to see come in?
1: Joel Patricius, who did Buzzard a few years ago, uh, it was a film that I I really like, um, in Sinatopia's twenty. Twenty fourteen.
0: Well, I know you got uh, Jason Silverman coming into town. That sounds interesting.
1: Jason Silverman, uh, who's a friend of ours from the Art House Convergence already, um, who works at a great theater out in New Mexico. but so he made this film, Semben. He's a U of M graduate, uh, in, case, in case that anybody was wondering. And he made this film about Semben, uh, the African auteur, Africa's first tour. And it is killer. It's so good. So he's coming into town. You can't hear this. My daughter is in the background in her room. She woke up from bed and she's talking to me through the door. All oh, I can here. hear. <laughs> you can hear. <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> she's,
0: she's having some fun back there. Well, I was excited to see that even when it comes to some of the filmmakers that are overseas, you're able to bring them in through Skype, you know, seeing that Slavik uh, Horak from Home Care will be doing a Q and a via Skype. That's very nice
1: it's a great opportunity for us when we get a film like home care, which slayed us at South by Southwest to be able to like bring in a film like that. And, you know, you, you might never get to meet or hear from, you know, one of these overseas filmmakers and to give them a forum to, to to work it out with them within their schedule. And that's the, that's the struggle for Skype for us is the, uh, um, lining it up to make sure we can get somebody at a at a screening and be that representation for a film um, at a time that makes sense. I mean, that, that, that's been our struggle this week alone, is like how can we make somebody who's going to be in London available without having them to get up at 4 o'clock in the morning? I think the one that most of the people that I talk to who's going to be there this year that they're excited for is Martin Starr, uh, who's coming in with a film operator. And if you don't know Martin Starr, he was in a little show called Freaks and Geeks, and he's on another little show called Silicon Valley that I don't think very many people have heard of. So I don't know if it will sell very many tickets, but he did make this. He's in this amazing film called Operator um, that's made by some local Ann Arborites, former local Ann Arborites, Sharon Green and Logan Kibbins. Everybody who's asked me about Sanatopia always asks about Martin Starr, so... Uh, I think that's the one most people are looking for to,
0: do. Yeah. It's almost too much that you guys have two what I would consider movie palaces as part of your venues here with the Redford Theater and the Michigan Theater, and the whole idea of seeing something like Lady in the Tramp at the Redford Theater, just amazing. I, I can't even imagine how nice that will be to see that there. Yeah,
1: you know, it's one of my dreams for Cinetopia is every year we have uh, – good friends to the theater, Jay and Connie, and they go to the Turner Classic Movies Festival every year. And every year they bring me back The Guide. And I'm jealous. I'm jealous of a repertory film festival in Los Angeles. And my dream is for Cinetopia to use theaters like the Redford and the Maple and the DFT in the Michigan, the main theater in the Michigan especially, to to add this big repertory component right on the side of Cinetopia. I think it'd be a lot of fun. I think people would love it. That's what the Symposium in a weird way already is, is this, is this repertory series. You know, we didn't do, the Michigan Theater didn't do a Orson Welles retrospective over the course of four or five months. We did it over the course of three days with the University of Michigan. But to have a 11 or 12 day repertory festival, you know, again, using t- venues like the Redford to showcase classic animated films like Waiting the Tramp, but or directors like Orson Welles or directors like Robert Altman or producers like Alan Rudolph. I think that would be a total brain burner. I would love it. I would love a big repertory festival in Michigan. Oh, you man, you should see what I'm going to do with uh, the Michigan summer for, for summer classics. We're going to show Metropolis. We undertook an organ renovation The Michigan has the, a uh, Barton theater organ that hasn't left the theater and or, been in the theater since 1928 when the theater opened and it's one of 40 left in its home, played the most of those 40. There's all the mythology around this organ and we, well, we had it renovated and we added a MIDI access port to it. So the organist could like record their music or practice those scores a little easier. And recently one of our techs discovered that we can hook, he can hook his synthesizers and his drum machines and his samplers up to the organ and then play the organ itself as an instrument so the organ has these these shades that open and close when you turn the organ on and he can like f- sample that shade opening and closing through the midi input on the organ it's so it blows my mind when i saw it i was like we have to use this we have to <laughs> we have to do
0: something with this one of the film geek moments that I'm looking forward to the most with the festival, other than seeing these Disney films at the Redford, is just being able to finally see the documentary De Palma, which I've been reading about for a long time. So I'm really thankful for the festival to be bringing that in so I can actually see that with a, with a crowd and on a big screen.
1: When I saw De Palma, I was, it was so funny because it's, you know, you know for, for those who don't know, the documentary and Brian De Palma, uh, who made a lot of really amazing films, and it wasn't it wasn't until about a half an hour or so into it that I realized that he's the only talking head and I don't mean like that in this in this negative way at all, but his ability ability as a storyteller I think is pretty well known on film, but to hear him tell stories and to hear him describe things in the way that these events in his life shaped the, that the director that he became and how these movies sort of were birthed is really, really amazing. And when Elliot Wilhelm at the DIA and the Detroit Film Theater mentioned that he saw the Palma and he loved it, uh, I knew we had to play it. And unfortunately I can only get one screening of it. So I would love for you all to go to the Detroit Film Theater and see it. I will be
0: there with bells on
1: here you go. Here's my other pitch for my, my repertory film festival is then how great would it be if I could have shown Carrie like right after that, like the untouchables, um, a lot of fun, a lot of fun.
0: Yeah. You had me at Carrie, but untouchables would have just been gravy.
1: (laughs) And I think it's interesting too. It's like, um, Jake Paltrow and Noah Baumbach directed it. And I'm not super familiar with Jake Paltrow's work, but, Noah Baumbach as a director has that same sort of like De Palma sensibility to him, and, I, and I'm judging a documentary, so it, I guess it's not it's it's apples and oranges. But I started to think about the squid and the whale, and I started to think about taking a and streaming, um, and how these you know you can see these very De Palma quality in his films, in his in his narrative films. So to, to see him make a documentary about a guy that I, I see a lot of inspiration from. It's interesting. It's an interesting dynamic.
0: So, Brian, where can folks go to find out more information about the festival and pick up their passes?
1: Uh, you should go to org. You can buy all your passes there. You can see all the movies there. It's over 50-some-odd 50, 50 movies, over 130-some-odd screenings. There's a lot of stuff going on. Michael Jackson, St. Elon, like I said, at Campus Martius, you can go there and find out information about that. Um, we are happy, happy, happy to sell you a pass. I think that's, again, that's the best way to experience this festival, to see as many movies as possible. It's, it, you know, it's funny when I go to a film festival, I ended up seeing, you know, at Sundance this year, I saw 34 movies in seven days. And it's interesting. It's fun to see people do that now with Sinatopia and compare and sort of like, oh, I saw 11 movies or I saw 15 movies. Um, over the course of you know three or four or five, six days and I think they do that because they're going to pass so go, go to sinatopiafestival.org and, and check it out to say, soup, yeah.
2: Shoulda say soup in love. Oh.